0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After Nine on ninety-three point one CFIS FM.
1: Good morning and welcome to After Nine. I'm your host for the next hour, Eric Allen, and my panel today: <clears throat> John Zukowski, Charlotte Clare, Peter Yurt, and just coming through the door, we have James Steedle. So, Steedle. That's correct, uh, James Teitel. We're going to have, so we've got a full house and lots to talk about. We're going to start off with uh, Peter, and he's going to just give us an overview of the high cost of cell phone service in uh, Canada, as opposed to other countries around the world, and maybe somehow or other, um, explain to it why we're paying more than anybody else. Take it away, Peter. Yeah, so thanks, Eric. I uh,
2: just want to start off you know, by talking about how Rogers Communications has recently announced that costs for some of its cell phone services will be going up an average of $5 a month this year. According to CBC News and other media and industry sources, as you say, Eric, Canada's prices for mobile wireless plans remain among the highest in the world. As things stand now, the mobile wireless industry in Canada is classified by many as being monopolized and dominated by a corporate oligopoly made up of three giant corporations, Bell, Rogers, and TELUS. An oligopoly is a market in which control over an industry lies in the hands of a few large sellers, who own a dominant share of the market and are able to work together to jack up prices as they wish. The result, of course, is a lack of competitiveness, a lack of real choice, and much higher prices for the population relative to other countries. The telecommunication companies argue that Canada has costly operating margins and a sparse Canadian population that requires them to impose these higher prices. But this explanation does not hold water when we compare prices in Canada to other jurisdictions in the world, or even between some of Canada's regions. At At the beginning, for example, at the beginning of last year, the cost per gigabyte for mobile internet in Canada was seven times more expensive than Australia which uh, Australia is also a very large country like Canada. It is 25 times more than Ireland and France and 1,000 times more than Finland. Another example, in 2022, scrolling Instagram for five minutes would cost about half a, cent, uh, half a cent in France, while it would cost 20 cents in Canada. Downloading one of the Netflix seasons in Australia would cost about $1. 62 in Australia, but 10.22 in Canada. Now, while it's true that mobile internet fees have gone down in Canada by 22 percent in the last year or so, critics point out that the prices are going down all over the world, uh, and but that Canada's reduction is much lower than other countries and remains among the highest in the world, relatively speaking. Furthermore, according to the federal government, the recent Rogers Shaw merger was supposed to lower mobile phone costs, but. Clearly that has not happened when we see the, you know, the announced increase was made by Rogers. In a few provinces like Saskatchewan and Manitoba, where besides the big three there's a strong regional competitor, prices were substantially lower. And it's interesting that in Saskatchewan the regional competitor is a public crown corporation, uh, Sask- SaskTel, which shows that what this shows is that public institutions can be viable options to the oligopolies and can result in reduced prices if government chooses to go down that road. You know, so I guess the question comes up, why aren't governments discussing this option? All that being said, the people in Canada and all over the world are facing a very big problem. More and more globalized monopolies and oligopolies are dominating the economies, politics, and cultures of countries. It's not just the telecommunications industry, but also other sectors like the the grocery industry, banking, and others. These uh, huge corporations have the power, and we, the people, are left out in the cold. We're continually told by politicians that we have a democracy. But if so, why is it that we have no power to rein these oligopolies in, who are like 21st century pirates roaming the world? It comes down to political power and who has it. We need to, in my opinion, we need to discuss how we as a people can get it, how we can renew the democracy and develop mechanisms so the power is in our hands, not the oligopolies. That, to me, is the fundamental question facing us.
1: Good. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, I was kind of intrigued to see that we were so much more expensive and trying to figure out, you know, why. Is it because we're such a huge country? Is that part of it? Has anybody said that, or...? you know, I mean, we're supplying cell phone service in the second or third largest country in the world with the smallest population. The the countries that Peter mentioned would all fit in Canada. We'd still have lots of room to spare. So there's got to be some sort of a reason for that. So that's one thought I had. The other one is, I mean, let's use some examples of of government uh, entities that we might be able to do cell service for as we could have B.C. Hydro cell service. That'd be a good one. Uh, P.G. Transit or uh, B.C. Transit cell service down in Vancouver. That'd be good, eh? And uh, B.C. Ferries. Now, well, they can't dock a ferry and they can't run a schedule on time, but maybe they can run a phone company. <laughs> what I'm saying here is be careful when you set up a government uh, entity to run your service because you could get the... Like everybody at this table, I think, with the exception of... A, Couple of not too happy with CBC, but they have the radio, and it wouldn't be much to move them to a cell service. I don't think anybody's beaten down the door to do that. So we have to find a service that works for us. And uh, well, I think the thing is that people are, seem to be willing to pay these
3: prices, and as long as they are willing to pay them, they're going to get charged. Uh, we've got all kinds of exorbitant fees, taxes and everything else that are being thrown upon people and small businesses in this country and it's i'm at a loss as to why we haven't yet had a tax revolt over uh, the amount of money government is charging us on a regular basis and when you see cell phone fees going up as well and people regard these things as now as a necessity i mean i've certainly become dependent on the on the thing uh it's it's another opportunity for people to charge higher fees and to make profits on them. And again, if people want to keep paying it, then we're going to keep getting charged. Well, I certainly agree
1: with that, uh, James.
4: Yeah, you mentioned, you know, why why are these uh, prices so high? The, the uh, biggest country in the world, but it's also worth pointing out Canada is one of the has the highest one of the highest urban populations in the in the world. So it might be a huge country, but the vast majority of us live in these. Kind of dense uh, urban conglomerated areas, yeah. so it it doesn't make sense. You know, I think I think that's a good argument for why we should probably have some of the more cheaper rates in in the country or in the world rather. So you know, I think it comes it goes back to those points that Peter raised. I think we've we don't have proper competition in the telecoms uh, industry. I remember when Freedom Mobile came into existence. That was, uh, and and you know, going back, this is the broadband you know is is auctioned off to these private companies so it's government controlled right the government kind of uh plays um referee on on who gets to play in in the in the uh, cell phone game right so they they auctioned off some some capacity to this company called Freedom Mobile and the rates went way down in Vancouver I I, I jump ship to Freedom Mobile and And I remember when I did that, I told, uh, I called up, Telus and said, you know, I'm I'm switching and they're like, well, we'll, what are you paying with freedom? And I said, well, 30 bucks a month. And I said, we'll, we'll pay, we'll charge you that. So obviously, you know, they could have done that, you know, five, 10 years prior or whatever. So that, that made me pretty mad. And I switched to freedom and, and I, I had to, I had to get rid of it when I moved up here, uh, six years ago now. And, uh you know i think that that kind of goes down to the heart of the issue here is is that we don't have proper competition
1: yeah
4: that certainly sounds like it john
5: yeah well that's that's part of the problem too is we don't have antitrust laws in canada like uh, like we should have there should be uh regulations prohibiting monopolies in canada because of the 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 size of the country uh you should be allowed to have competition. Uh, having a monopoly is, unless it's a crown corporation, it shouldn't be allowable. You, you mentioned Sheldon, the, the government has a, a big stake in, in telecommunications. Well, the CRTC, uh, they, they love this stuff. When they turned around and got rid of radio telephones in favor of cell phone service, uh, there was big blocks of the spectrum that they were selling off Absolutely. the center. So, I mean, there is the opportunity to dial us all back in. It just, we don't have the political will to turn around and push it. And we need to. I mean, that's, that's what we've got a whole cast of clowns in Ottawa supposedly looking after our interests. That's their job. But uh, nobody seems to be holding their feet to the fire and saying, "Look, you got to do better." Well, it's Industry Canada that regulates uh, radio spectrum. CRTC, yeah, yeah, and
3: uh, yeah, yeah. Industry Industry Canada is the uh, the government department that does it, and as with CRTC and and. They are certainly eager to find more spots that they can sell on the spectrum and yeah. they they 've been aggressive in the amateur bands to try to try to find opportunities for that and I know that there are lots of good people in those departments who are fighting for uh, saving radio spectrum for people so
5: well now that we 've got the the integration of fiber, and here was the problem was we had a proliferation of radio frequencies that were heavily used, yeah. Uh, many of the municipal uh, municipal police departments, the RCMP, as a, as a prime example, went from uh, uh, 175 uh, megs, they went into digital radio. yes. And when that transfer happened, that opened up huge blocks of the radio spectrum. <coughs> and now with the fiber optics being put in place, maybe the government needs to turn around and put in fiber optic trunks that are owned by the government. Uh, so that you can turn around and have blocks. Now you can take a cellular configuration and apply it to uh, fiber optics. Then you open up even more of the spectrum because you don't need that radio bandwidth all over a province. The province of British Columbia used to have, back in the good old days of real forestry, we used to have what was called ProvNet. Uh, ProvNet was a large provincial radio network that uh, interfaced the whole province, and it was all Ministry of Forests. Every Sunday, I think it was about eleven thirty or twelve o'clock at night, they would do a radio test, and they would lock in every repeater throughout the province. And if you were a scanning aficionado and you listened to the radio uh, radio frequencies, you could literally hear all the re- uh, radio repeaters throughout the province tone in call in, verify that they were operating, and tone out. And it was incredible. There was something in the neighborhood of 45 different radio repeater sites throughout the province. So at any given time, Victoria could turn around and say, we have an emergency, we need to get a hold of this. And they didn't need telephone lines. They did it through ProvNet, and they could light up the whole province and get a hold of every ministry they needed to. And, and the amateur a of a button, and the amateur band supported that too. All the
3: actual radio users. was that sorry, was that? like
4: was that Red Rock? This. Was that like Red Rock? The radio station, radio phones. Was that what you guys are? Um,
1: it, well, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a radio. Okay, guys, p- we're going to just go to. We're getting off the case here. We've got three three telephone companies. Okay, we've got antitrust laws. We've got anti monopoly laws, and we can't solve this problem. Like John's saying, you know, those guys in Ottawa have got to be doing something. Well, they've been doing something with monopolies for years, and we haven't been getting any benefits. We have the same thing with the oil companies. We've got five major oil companies, and they all charge the same price for gas, and we don't do anything about it. So basically, are we saying the government that we have is just useless and they don't do anything? Or are there, reasons, much. <laughs> are, there, there are reasons why we can't get this done? Peter, what do you think? Well, I think what it comes down to,
2: yeah, you know, like we're talking a lot about the economics, but it actually morphs into the, into the political, into the whole issue of uh, what kind of democracy is it, right, Where, whereby you can have uh, these oligopolies and monopolies, uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, setting the, the, you know, the the rule, right, uh, and you have, like, for example, we have elections every four years or so. And, uh, you know, so we have a democracy on one day out of those four years. And the rest of the time, it's a kind of a dictatorship where they don't have to follow through. Like they make the promise. You know, you know we're coming up to a federal election. There's all going to be pr- promises made and all this. But there's no way. And this is a there's a gap here, right? You know, that we have no mechanisms or whatever to, to hold the governments to account in terms of what they do. And uh, that's one of the things I think we have to look at, right, in terms of our our Constitution and uh, uh, our whole uh, democratic mechanisms. It's an issue for the 21st century. Is, uh, we've, we've got this situation that's manifesting itself in so many ways. We're seeing it in the grocery stores with the big grocery monopolies. We're seeing it where, you know, uh, this monopolization is growing all over the world and it's globalized. And basically, we we, have, we as populations and the countries and all have to figure out how to how to get a handle on this. Otherwise, it's going to be like... I was saying there, right? It's sort of like you have pirates roaming the world, right? And uh, uh, who's going to rein them in, you know? So that's the that's issue.
1: Yeah, so James, do you want to say something on that? So
4: just the as topic. a little side note to that Freedom Mobile thing, you know, that uh, that independence didn't last for long. I believe it got gobbled up by Rogers, and I think uh, now it is controlled by Videotron, which is a Quebec telecommunications telecommunic- company with uh, market domination back in the East, so... You know, as soon as you get an upstart coming into the market, the big guys just squash it.
5: Well, yeah, it's it's every time you get an opportunity you turn around and, and sop up customers by having lower rates, uh, you get big. And then eventually somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, let's make a deal. Yeah.
6: Okay, we're going to take a break now, and we'll come back and uh, jump to a different uh, subject Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rossella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Senior's Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Aladdin to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center.
0: Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9, weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9, weekday mornings at 9 o'clock, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you miss the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10.
4: Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars. If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge,
7: dealer number 30501. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today. Wind at the 15K. A high of minus 8 with a wind chill to minus 18. Tonight, periods of snow, more wind. The temperature steady near minus 8 with a wind chill to minus 14. For Tuesday, snow ending in the afternoon, then cloudy. Wind becoming north 30 in the afternoon. Temperature falling to minus 14 in the afternoon with a wind chill to minus 23.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: Okay, we're back. I'm going to go to John Zukoski. John wants to uh, give us an overview of uh, downtown uh, and the crime situation and the policing situation, fire situation, the rest of it. So just give us an overview of what's going on there, John, and uh, we'll get into that for a few minutes. Well, our, our downtown is, as usual, uh, a hot mess,
5: <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> in the last uh, several days, we've had a fire. Uh, well, before the weekend, we had the fire down at and Flats. Uh, then immediately that following morning, we had a, a shooting down there, which uh, resulted in a heavy RCMP presence with with dogs and guns and police officers and ambulances and yeah it's just it just an amazing amazing mess and that seems to be getting ever worse sir, as opposed to being resolved by anybody you try to reach out to city hall to find out what is being done and and there's radio silence nobody wants to talk about it or address it so that's that's the big concern and we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with a uh, potential committee to work to address the downtown crime issues. Uh, we've heard nothing from the mayor's office on that front. So, uh, But it's still early in the new year, so we've got to give them some time to get settled in and, and get some other affairs in order. But, uh, yeah, things are not getting better downtown, and uh, the and Flats encampment is becoming uh, an ever-increasing issue.
1: Well, before we get into that now... Uh, <clears throat> As far as the fires go and as far as somebody shooting somebody and the police responding, what makes you think that's any different in and Flats than it would be up in College Heights or any other place else in Prince Church? The response, in my mind, would be basically the same. The crime is the same. And probably the outcome is going to be the same. There's just more of it, though. Like, yeah, yeah you know, there's so much more that people with legitimate more, would, more everyday crimes or smaller but, crimes. Well,
3: but not fires and shootings. Well, I think that the, if you started looking around, you would find that there have been people's homes that have that gone with fires that have not yeah. been responded to because the fires were de- the fire departments had their apparatus delegated to markets and flats and had to sit there right. when, and could not respond to some other important calls. And I think that that there there is a place for someone to have a look at that and see if anyone's had a fire damage
1: that was not attended to because of calls to marcus and flats yeah you'd have to get that information i know that there are fires smaller fires have been set adjacent to buildings and we're very lucky that Lots some of, of these buildings haven't gone up in flames and of course they respond to that Oh, was, but this one was right in uh, a designated area. Well, I, I was
3: down at uh, Moccasin Flats on, on Friday. I went down there to have a look at the place and walked down Patricia Boulevard and talked to some of the folks in the Miller Edition. And uh, they, they have two really strong emotions going on. They're angry and they're afraid. You've got elderly people who are being uh, abused by the... Criminal vagrancy activity that's happening there—people coming and breaking into homes, stealing things out of their, their property, making threats, and so on. Uh, the uh, drug activity that's going on in Marcus and Flats—it looks like there's two gangs running everything, including activities at the wellness center—and this is driving an awful lot of problems. Uh, the residents I talked to are looking at having a, a meeting and getting together, perhaps considering some sort of legal action to, t- uh, to point out the hazards of having a fire come up those banks. In that, in the very dry circumstances, notwithstanding the fact that there's a little bit of snow, it's extremely dry mm-hmm. and threatening their homes and their neighborhood. It's a public safety issue. It's it's not about just housing. Uh, uh, People who are legitimately homeless. What we've got down going on down there is largely drug addiction driven with cr- a lot of criminal vagrancy and, and a, a, a small number of people who are legitimately homeless that could use a bit of help. That's
1: right. We've got to keep in mind that, uh, you know, we have these situations. You can go as far as, as Walmart if you want, where people come in and steal stuff and, and walk out the door, it's giving you the finger on the way out. So uh, that's. Blatant. Uh, I was in Walmart. Robbery. I was
3: in Walmart, and I got the same story, Eric. I, I talked to one of the greeters there, and I was looking for a basket to, to do a little bit of shopping. And he said, "Well, we don't have baskets anymore." He says, "We may we might have six And I go, well, "What happened to the baskets?" He says, "People come in here and steal them, and then they they use them to to haul their stuff down to their their
1: uh, their tent cities."
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so it's it's a problem that's all over town the different businesses and residences well mostly business and people basically you know, I think that the uh, business owners have advised their clients not to try to stop these people because they could get injured next thing you know you're looking at a WCB claim for an employee being injured on the job and that has a lot of monetary effects on your business so but if we don't do anything then it gets worse and worse and worse so we have to solve the problem. And, and our go-to always is, you commit the crime, you do the time. It seems now, you commit the crime, you don't do the time. And nobody wants to tell us why they're not doing the time. Are we short of jails? Do we need to build more jails? Do we need more prosecutors? Do we have to find another way of not charging people so we don't have to process them? What's going on out there? Well, it's not
5: John Q. Public's responsibility to... to. Uh to address those issues. We have elected officials, we have a, a body that is supposed to be the voice of the people of the city of Prince George. They're supposed to forward that to the appropriate entities, be it the province or federal government. Uh, but no, we've we've got counselors and people that are elected into office to turn around and look after these issues. They're more concerned about a gravel pile that's disappearing, as opposed to addressing the issues of crime and and drug addiction and homelessness and and. Uh, the the disparity between people that that are paying taxes and those that aren't and constantly taking so the question is what's more important looking after the people that are supporting the community and and paying into the tax base or you know keeping an eye on a gravel pile that's disappearing down at the encampment that's well, a question the
1: thing is the thing is we can take any city in, in british columbia you can take Kelowna, you can take vancouver you can take victoria and they got some pretty serious problems there. And guess what? Same problems that we have. So you're saying that all the councillors and the city councils in British Columbia don't know what they're doing and they're all. No, I'm just them? interested in the nine that we
5: have here that are sitting doing exactly. nothing. That's my yeah. concern.
1: That's right, but it's a it's a provincial problem. It is it is definitely a provincial city? problem.
3: Yeah. Now, this is the NDP that should wear this. This is also the former the Liberal Party that should wear this. That's that's two political entities that have both set this up.
2: Yep, Peter? Uh, Yeah, I think that this has to be put in an overall context in terms of what's going on. There's a lot of finger-pointing going on. You know, uh, there's criticism of the municipal government and the provincial government, the federal government. But I think it's useful to look at the overall, right? If we go back to the 1990s, uh, one of the things that happened then was the liberal government of that time uh, you, you know, wanted to claim credit for defeating the deficit and so on. So what they did is they cut transfer payments, health transfer payments, and other transfer payments to the provinces, and they threw the the, the provinces, the the, the the health part of things and other parts of things into a crisis, which has continued to this day. And so now you you have this situation where whereby the um, Uh, It also applies to housing, like social housing. The federal government got out of... uh uh, out of social housing thirty years ago as well and so you have this situation whereby each level of government has been through, well especially the lower levels of government the uh, municipal government for example uh, you know sort of bearing the brunt of it right and to, to, whereas you know when you look at it and all this it, we have to look at the overall it goes it goes to the provincial yes but it also goes up to the federal and uh, where the where the where the problem lies in the overall sense we keep that in mind then we look at if we look at the overall, then we can look at the context of solutions, and right, otherwise, it's just finger pointing.
1: Okay, thanks, Peter. We're gonna go for a breakdown and we'll beat this drum a little bit longer.
7: Golden Age Socials are back for another season. Once a month through March, the City of Prince George and your Council of Seniors and a host organization provide tea, coffee, snacks, table prizes, and decorations at the Civic Center for those 50 and older to enjoy an afternoon out of social interaction with other seniors. It's a great break for your well-being and mental health.
8: The next Golden Age Social from your Prince George Council of Seniors and the City of Prince George is 2 o'clock Monday, February 12. At the Civic Centre. Canadian Arts and Culture Organizations. Student Work Placement Program at the Cultural Human Resources Council is able to provide wage subsidies for post-secondary level students to work for you. A two-minute phone call to confirm your eligibility, 20 minutes to complete the online application, and you'll secure thousands of dollars in less than two weeks. If you hired, currently employ, or would like to hire students, we want to hear from you. Find our contact info at culturalhrc.ca. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services, from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building, call 250-562-6638. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader. will help you grow train and sell your business it's after nine on
0: prince george's community station 93.1 cfis fm
1: okay we're back and uh, we're going to work a little bit longer on this uh downtown uh, is that where we were downtown homeless or where were we, well, we you were guys going, got me we're, we're going,
4: going. Up into the stratosphere with some,
1: oh, with some uh material.
4: james wants to take us into the stratosphere yeah, we can't, we can't, go ahead uh, james we can't let Sheldon, uh, you know, sit here and, and uh, say all of these conservative talking points, make all these political hits without a response here. You know, um, <laughs> I think we got to step back and it's look at what, better, what, do the, what does a conservative policy, what does it stand for? You know, and it's, uh, as far as I can see, it's all about giving these big businesses whatever they want. Uh, it's about uh, you know not caring about inequality in society. It's about. Um, you know, given whatever these mega corporations want, uh, so that they can make a profit for the shareholders. You know, so I, I don't think uh, I don't think the conservatives have a solution. You know, I don't think uh, the liberals have a solution. I think the the political reality nowadays is that everybody's kind of in the same ship. We've we've uh, pledged allegiance to the the corporate shareholder, and I think that's the underlying problem that we look at. I mean, you talk about why we've got issues in in Kamloops and Kelowna and Prince George. Uh, it's because the economy isn't working for the average person, right? We've it's uh, it's become an automated uh, economy of of uh, of monopolies and oligopolies and there's no opportunities for the little guy, there's no opportunities for entrepreneurship uh, as much as there once was. And uh, the, these are the underlying issues that we face. We have to basically create uh, the ability for people to get um, have meaningful employment, uh, you know, be able to succeed in life. Uh, what what's the greater cause that we're we're fighting for and living for? And as far as I can see, that's uh, you know the the political powers that be, whether that's conservative or liberal, has uh, basically made the goal of society a shareholder value. That's what we're working for. So I think you know that that kind of thing needs to change. I you know we we could have about a three or four hour discussion on how to do that, but I don't think people want to hear that. But I wanted to throw that out on the table. Good. There was a soft landing there. I hardly heard it. <laughs> did,
8: it <anymore. laughs>
1: did you want to say a few words before we move on? Shall well, I know.
3: don't think I'd been mouthing any conservative talking points, James. Certainly not on the air at that point. Uh, however, I, 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 well, I don't speak for the federal conservatives, as you know, I am running for the provincial conservative party, the Conservative Party of British Columbia, which is not affiliated with the federal conservatives. And our focus has been on small business, and our focus has been on getting people back to work, and our focus has been on a common sense approach to getting this country, or this province, being a place where everybody can prosper. And we're not going to keep, keep prospering if we keep adding to deficit spending, and building up the debt, and watching the welfare state contract from the 1940s crumble around our, our, our feet, because... What we're seeing now is that we're continuing to do the same things over and over, and they're not working, and the approach that we need to take is to support local small business and the communities around them to make sure that they are driving the economy, that those small businesses are what makes this province and our communities work. It's not the big mega corporations or anything like that. I I mean, if you look at who can donate money to politicians and political parties, it's A very very small amount and it's very limited and it certainly isn't companies and it certainly isn't unions, it's individuals and I think that's a good thing I think that that's a very good thing that it's people who drive politics now in British Columbia and I think when we have a conservative party of British Columbia government we're going to see a lot of things run differently and we're going to see them run for the better
1: Okay, we're we're just going (coughs) to cut that part of it off now and move along because otherwise we'll have a whole political show going here. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. We had the city council, and I agree with John, is we had a city council there that's not doing what it's doing, but a certain uh, amount of its argument is it's not their jurisdiction. It's not their responsibility. And we can, I got an outline of that uh, here today. I don't know if we're going to actually get to it. And that's our updated... Memorandum of understanding with the provincial government clearly outlines that it's not a city responsibility, the housing and the rest of it. But they work with the city and, you know, they're working with them downtown right now. So the question is, you know, is to define what the city's responsibility is to see what they've done so far. Uh, because let's remember that they were the ones that originally moved them down to Moggison Flats. Then they moved them out of Moggison Flats. Then they went back to Marcus and Flats and they moved out a few other areas. And, um, so they seemed to be able to do that part of it. And, you know, no problem whatsoever. But uh, even though it was the court order that they couldn't do it, they did it anyway. So, so there's room for improvement down there. question is, who's going to take responsibility for it? Who's the strong man or woman that's going to say, okay, I'll be the lead on this, and, and we'll look into the whole situation and get it solved. Do any names come to mind? Certainly doesn't with me. I was at meetings here on the homeless downtown in the situation 10 years ago. I seen the council and everybody standing at the fire pit talking. Some of them are not here anymore. They didn't get reelected, but they were going to do a number of things about the downtown situation, and 10 years later, it's worse, not better. And they don't even want to re- recall the fact that they were at that meeting. They pretend it never took place. So we have some serious problems. And, you know, a lot of these people just take the line of least resistance. And they're so used to it, that's just what they do. Do you want to stay and work or go home? Start heading for the door. It's like at a dance, you know, I need somebody to stay and clean up afterwards. Start heading for the door, you know. Who's doing the cleanup? You know, I don't know, so. Any suggestions, John?
5: Well, I, I think maybe to, to benchmark where I was trying to go with all that is, is we've got a council, and there doesn't seem to be the motivation for them to sit down and work the issues. I haven't had uh, or heard of them doing a working group or a committee uh, to, uh, to actually sit down, work the local issues, Divide the responsibility as to what departments, what ministries, what governments are responsible for these things and then start turning the heat on. They, they don't want to get together to work. And that's that for me is a concern because uh, we're paying for them.
1: Yep, I agree. OK, we're going to take a break now.
8: The Alzheimer's it's Society of Carter, Northern Interior, Northwest, and Northeast Resource Center is located at 1811 Victoria Street. One-to-one in-person support is available by appointment. Book your appointment by emailing Cruz at alzheimerbc.org or call the office at 250-564-7533 or toll-free at 1-866-564-7533. The Northern Interior, Northwest, and Northeast Alzheimer's Society Resource Center, located right here in Prince. Prince George at 811 Victoria Street. Tourism Prince George has closed its doors on First Avenue as it starts renovations to reopen in the Civic Center Rotunda this spring. In the meantime, you can reach Tourism Prince George by phone during regular business hours, by email, and through social media. Select merchandise is available at PharmaSave, the UNBC Bookstore, and the Exploration Place. With brochures and guides available at the Railway and Forestry Museum, the Prince George Airport, and CN Center. More information is also available online at TourismPG.com. The Prince George Aquatic Center offers
7: advanced aquatic and leadership training for swimmers interested in becoming an instructor or certified professional lifeguard or upgrading their certification. For the full list of programs as well as the schedule, click on the AQ Leadership Programs link on the program registration page through the Aquatics link under Parks and Recreation at princegeorge.ca. Advanced Aquatic Leadership Programs at the Prince George Aquatic Center from the City of Prince George. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, wind at to 15K, a high of minus 8 with a wind chill to minus 18. Tonight, periods of snow, more wind, the temperature steady near minus 8 with a wind chill to minus 14. For Tuesday, snow ending in the afternoon, then cloudy, wind becoming north 30 in the afternoon, temperature falling to minus 14 in the afternoon with a wind chill to minus 23. Featuring the people
0: who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, we're back. We're going to change the subject now. I'm going to go to forest fires, wildfires, clear cutting, and what effect this has on our weather. Uh, There's some things going on out there that we don't pay any attention to because we think a fire basically is for cooking a wiener and, uh, you know, any water around us for swimming. I'm going to let uh, James get into this first because there are some huge, huge ramifications as to the way we treat our forests. Go ahead, James.
4: Yeah, there was an interesting article a few years ago about this idea about uh, rivers uh, rivers in the sky. And, and basically what happens when water comes in off the ocean, it only makes it so far before uh, it falls out of the sky in the form of precipitation. Uh, so for rain uh, to get picked up again, basically that water has to evaporate off the land, get picked up into the clouds again, gets uh, ferried a little further inland, gets dumped, and uh, vice versa. So basically all the water, like in the prairies, uh, that's all being kind of recycled uh, water that gets brought in from from the oceans, and for this uh, kind of conveyor belt of water and moisture to work, you kind of have to have, um, you know, functional forests. is uh, Is the message that I got. The more forest you have, the more water you're going to be um, drawing up into the atmosphere, and more rain you're going to have into the interior. So you have these changing weather patterns. We've got these droughts. Uh, who knows what's going on you know it could be something bigger than this but uh you know it's it's very likely a contributing factor is is the extensive deforestation we've seen uh across across the province you know if you look at a, a map of google earth like holy man there's there's a, a lot of clear cuttings happened and this has probably had a role in in hydrological patterns i mean it's certainly it's certainly reasonable to suspect that this um you know the more deforestation you have uh, the more flooding you're gonna have a lot of the water just kind of like runs off the forest into the rivers and back into the ocean right so you, you lose kind of some of your water resources that could instead be be ferried further inland for more rain uh, and i guess we also want to touch on you sent an article around there about the difference between coniferous and deciduous forests, which is my favorite topic on this show and uh a lot of people don't know this but uh, your deciduous forests uh, have better watershed functions so the more aspen we've got the more alder we've got the more uh, rain kind of sticks around in the forest and uh, the more beavers you're going to have the more beaver dams uh, will hold back more water all this you know i could go on and on but uh, it's, it's something we don't think about and, and when when you talk to forestry you know they're not thinking about these kinds of things at all one of the one of the crazier examples is there's a ubc hydrologist down in Kelowna doing a bunch of research on reforestation and the role that has in river flows and stream flows and this guy isn't even looking at um how we've basically um eliminated a whole whackload of aspen down in that country up in the higher plateau areas in favor of pine plantations like that's not even on his radar you know, so this this is stuff that we're not even researching at the Ministry of Forest level, at the university level. Uh, we just kind of assume that uh, we're reforesting these cup blocks uh, and everything's going to recover to how it was before. But nobody's talking about how we're fundamentally changing the nature of, of our forests through modern reforestation strategies. So a lot of there to, to chew on and think about.
1: Okay, thanks, James. Yeah, I just wanted to say that you want to go there, Peter?
4: Uh, yeah, just make
2: a couple of remarks. like. So, for over 100 years now, like uh, the, you know, the concept of uh, of the Earth being a biosphere, you know, has been put forward, right? Where you have uh, the interconnection of nature and natural processes, like James is talking about there, you know. And uh, we, we, there's many are saying now that we live in an Anthropocene period now which is characterized by the fact that human beings can have a uh a huge impact on on nature unlike in you know thousands of years ago when human beings were in small bands and so on uh and i think you know we're a couple of the examples that um uh, uh, that James brought up, uh, you know, in regard to the flooding, right? You know, the flooding that happened down in Grand Forks, you know, which were, which is linked by the fact that of the clear cutting on the slopes surrounding Grand Forks, right? And so as a result, you have floods in the, in the springtime. And then, then again, we look at the, the pine beetle epidemic, you know, which, uh, in part is related to the, uh, activities of human beings like planting monocultures of pine and spruce uh you know fire suppression and so on and so i think that that's one of the you know critical things that that needs to be developed more that we can't look at our, our forests we can't look at our rivers we can't look at uh, our oceans in isolation they have a, an effect profound effect and if we don't do that then we pay the consequences as a, as a human beings on this earth. So I think uh, I think it's important that we keep that in mind. Sheldon, well, I I, I take a little bit of issue with part of
3: it. The, the, the idea that universities and colleges aren't looking at these questions i believe they are i mean i do teach the writing component for foresters at cnc from time to time and i do know that the the forestry program does look at these important issues of having diversity in the forests and and i think that's an essential element i i can't disagree with anything James was saying about the uh, ecology that, that makes up our forests and how important that is and it is certainly the case that our forests are in need of some some protection And we have also got to make sure that we're adding value to the forest products that we're harvesting so that we're getting that value in British Columbia and not exporting it overseas. I I think that's quite essential to see the success of small businesses within British Columbia. And now that may come with some higher costs for some things because of the labor costs. We all, we've seen a lot of work farmed overseas, and that's not a, not a good thing. We need to start getting some prosperity back to the people in this province. And I think you do that by adding value to our forests and making sure that what we're doing is harvesting responsibly.
1: John? John's okay? Okay, I just want to kind of give you... I'll get to you in a sec, James. Give you kind of a visual on this. So, you got a big spruce tree out in the the forest. Takes up, I don't know, maybe a thousand or five thousand gallons of water a day. It uses so much to keep itself alive. The balance of it goes, dissipates into the atmosphere, and then drifts along. And maybe my uh, sister in Grand Prairie gets rained on that day from water that came out of Prince George. That's what I always tell her, anyway. We're sending you another storm. So now you take that one tree, multiply it by two or three million that we've cut down, get yourself a mathematician, start doing the math to the amount of water or transpiration, they call it, that's not going into the atmosphere and the stuff that's staying in the ground because there's no trees sucking that water up into uh, uh, into the uh, trees so that it can go into the air. I see a huge problem there. I don't think that we need a genius to figure this out. This has been going on for a long time. We've got all kinds of changes in weather patterns. We've got no snow this year. could be an anomaly. But if it isn't, we're in serious trouble. Yeah. So go ahead, James.
4: Well, I just wanted to point out, you know, there there is the... the when I was talking about this not being researched, like there's a professor down at UBC in Kelowna, his name's Adam Wee, and he's the professor of... Uh, eco-hydrological processes in the forest and he's doing a whole bunch of research on cut blocks and all this and I talked to him he didn't know about the brushing, he didn't know about the sprain so I I, I sent him the maps like I'm not kidding you Sheldon these guys don't know what's going on Uh, they're in our highest academic institutions they're they're supposedly telling us how to do things and they have no clue what's going on Okay,
9: we gotta take a break though feeling stressed Your Prince George Public Library and the St. John's Ambulance Therapy Dog Program are giving you a chance to de-stress. On January 20th, the downtown branch of the library is holding a a Pet-A-Puppy event, a chance to visit and de-stress with a furry friend. This is a free all-ages event with a reminder these are real dogs of varying sizes and breeds. Come out and meet some of the members of the St. John's Ambulance Therapy Dog Program, January 20th from
6: 1045 to noon at the Downtown Public Library. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Senior's Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies, everything from Aladdin to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston Pizza,
9: it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road.
0: Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250 617 7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467. Or check out our website, PivotLeader.com. At PivotLeader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, we're back. Uh, There was just one item on the homeless situation, and that's the new buildings that were supposed to be built on First Avenue. And they got one completed. This thing started back in 2020, and in 2022, there was announcement that they would start in 2023. 2023, there was an announcement they would probably start in 2024. So my mind is telling me that this project has been delayed almost three years to get the other two buildings started. And I'm guessing for political reasons, because I can't think of any other reason, it was a liberal project initially, and then they lost the election. The NDP got in, and uh, they never started them. The next thing I see in the newspaper was an ad that the city was leasing the uh, property for three years with an option to renew. Uh, I just have a bit of a difficult dealing with something to, that would suggest that perhaps the government would actually delay a much-needed project for political reasons. And I think for that one, I'll go to our resident politician today, Sheldon, see what he says.
3: <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. I, I think that there is a, a bigger question of what the communication is like between the province and the and city on this, because uh, you, you see the city pointing out that they have limited jurisdiction for some aspects of this, and then you see the province basically pointing their fingers at the city and trying to blame the city for everything while the the province is busy buying up properties in the downtown area and trying to prep them for to be shelters for, for homeless people. And I mean, I don't think that the businesses downtown want that, and I don't believe that it will solve the problem in the long term. It, it looks... It looks like we're doing something, but it doesn't actually fix things. So, uh, governments doing work for political expediency, sure. Uh, Governments not doing work for political expediency, of course. Uh, These things happen, and I, I believe that nothing that I have seen is going to fix this problem of this difficulty downtown. And I don't believe there's a quick solution either. I think this is a problem that may have to be dealt with over a long period of time and may have some very hard choices associated with it. And what those look like is going to take a little bit more research.
1: Well, you know, I don't disagree 100%, but it was 2020 that the city purchased that property on First Avenue for $4 million. And uh, a portion of that property was leased to BC Housing, and they put in that 50 units. They said it's anticipated that Phase 2... This is the city's MOU. It is anticipated that phase two will begin construction in spring of twenty twenty-four. So there's a three year delay there. The BC housing project will include fifty-one additional supportive housing units as well as an integrated health care space operated by Northern Health. Could be bogged down on red tape. I predicted three or four years ago that the one thing that'll kill these projects that they're they're suggesting is red tape. And maybe that's what it is, just red tape. They can't get it it done. But it's too bad because the plan's there, the money's there. We just need somebody to stay go. And by some miraculous um, process that they'll go through, I'm predicting that before the next election, somebody's going to hit the go button. And it'll be a new project by the NDP. Peter?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to return to something that uh, John talked about, uh, right, in terms of, uh, you know, the different levels of the government doing what they say they are doing what they should be doing. I think that's an important point, right, you know, that, uh, you know, as, as Sheldon say, also said, right, you know, like there is a, responsibilities in terms of housing, drug addiction and so on with the province and so on. And so the issue, the issue becomes there, whatever level of government it is, is that it do it well. And uh, and I think there's a legitimate criticism uh, for the the various levels of government for not doing it well. And I think, and things can be done here, like in terms of uh, the short term, but also the long term. But the critical thing is, is rather than getting to the finger pointing and all this, do what the, the jurisdiction demands uh, the, the particular government, whether it's municipal or provincial or federal.
1: Well, we've got all kinds of things going on. <clears throat> you know, down in Moggesson Flats there, the city says that people can't, you can't build houses down there that don't conform to the building code. On the other hand, they've got volunteers building houses that don't conform to the building code. So everybody knows what's going on. So then they go down there and they put up signs that you can't build in here and it's unsafe to go into these buildings. So from a legal point of view, they cover themselves off so they're not legally responsible if something happens, even though in a court of law they probably would be found legally responsible. Um, but they think they've signed off on it. So they go through all this process. For what?
5: Well, it's a dog and pony show to cover themselves from everything. Yeah, it's just because you hang a notice, you've advised you've advised people that it's dangerous to occupy said building. But uh, bottom line is, you're not doing anything for enforcement. You can turn around and write laws till you're blue in the face, but unless there's enforcement, there's nothing to it it's the same thing as all the laws in our criminal code aren't there unless they've been actually tried in court and upheld so this is the problem unless you've got enforcement this is all just double talk and and make work and as you mentioned just a little cya stuff here and there just to protect yourself hopefully but that's that's where we're at and it, it needs to change
1: okay is that it gotta wrap her up Kind of an hour run a little bit faster than usual. I want to thank my panel for coming in and getting us through this and all the people are listening out there. And we'll talk to you next Monday. So we didn't get to the big police one, boys. After nine is a weekday presentation
0: of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Steven Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10, and for past shows, check out the archives link at cfisfm.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by local businesses like New Look Interiors, now located at number 12E, 1839 First Avenue.